Hello, Hello, everyone. My name is Father Peter Musk. My name is Scott Powell. And you are listening to The Word on the Hill with the Lanky Guys. You are, and this is a special episode. A special edition. It's kind of got two parts to it. Well, not really two parts, but two different sort of audiences. The same show, and so those of you who listen to us as normal, normal. show up on iTunes or Spotify or whatever your podcast app of choice, you will get it as normal. But this is also a special edition podcast in honor of Focus's big Seek 21 conference that is happening all over the world and it's uh, like this a, weekend. And it's like a virtual edition, so it's like gatherings mm. of people, which I actually did a uh, a banquet for um, Our Lady of Lourdes School Lourdes. the other day. And they did a, like a, vir- a thing where they had like little parties and they all like the oh, parties cool. watched the like banquet. Little watch together. parties, that's yeah. fun. And it was actually really cool. So I'm actually really looking forward to seeking this way. Yeah. Focus, um, we're such big fans of Focus, the Fellowship of Catholic University Students. We both have long storied histories with Focus. You were, I think, Focus's first official vocation to the priesthood. Am I right? I think that I think that's the way it is. We're I, gonna say I, it. I I I claim that title. Claim it. Name because, it. Because because I came out of Focus as the first one, but there may have been one guy who had philosophical studies and he was ordained before me. All right. Well, that's a fair disclaimer, right? So I'm the that's first vocation, enough. though I may not be the first ordination. Okay, that's that's fair enough. Right. And I was a missionary way back in the early days when we still had horse-drawn carriages and wind-up phones. <laughs> Call Curtis on the uh, call. Hey, Call you, Curtis on the line. Did you know that uh, at a certain time they actually used to use barbed wire fences for part of the telephone system? That I you did could not. Ho- you could hook it up to your barbed wire. Nope. So, speaking to you through the barbed wire fence. Well, speaking of barbed wire, <laughs> well, you, maybe that's ab- ab- appropriate. Um, but we, we, we do want to say just again, we're so thankful to be a part of the Seed Conference. You, you and I, I mean, I think between, well, I know for Annie and I, and I'm sure you too, for between my wife and I, we have been to every single focus conference that there has been since the year 2001, which is crazy. And I assume it's probably similar, if not the same for you. And so it's, yeah, I I don't have a full set. Like I, it's it's like if I was, if I was a baseball card collector, Well, there's two of us. So it it worked, me and my wife. So it works to have the full set. Um, but it's it's uh, it's weird not to actually be to have this kind of staple of our year. Um, but what a blessing to be able to join all of you all over the world in the country in these different parties. So it is virtually amazing how it we can do it. Virtually wonderful. <laughs> so um, we're <sighs> heading in to this weekend. And oh, go ahead. Well, I just want to say if you happen to be listening to us for the first time, maybe right. through Seek or something. Oh yeah. What this podcast is. So this is an exploration of the Sunday readings from the Catholic Mass. And, and so- what we try to do in with this set of readings is to try to find the cohesive link between all of them because yeah. sometimes it's it's hard to actually find and sometimes we do it better than others but because, <laughs> yeah. but like cuz the cuz the, the the word has a consistency and 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 if you do work in relationship to the word of God, you can discover really cool treasures. Yeah, yeah. And um, and uh, so the, so we we get a journey through the revelation of God. We're in, treasure hunters. In, treasure hunters in the inerrancy of the scriptures. Dude, that was good. I like eh, the treasure hunters. It felt, uh, yeah, it felt cliche. Well, then, um, so 
we're in the fifth vicinity. <laughs> I don't know what to tell so, you about but, that. And on that I note, can't console you on that. We do this podcast every week. So if you are interested, if you enjoy this, we do it every single week. And so we have a lot of priests who turn to us to you know have some help with inspiration for homilies. A lot of parents who have little ones and they've never heard a homily in years. Or just you know people who want more insight into the reading. So we do this every week. We'd love you to join us. Um, it's lots of fun. So uh, and we make fun of each other substantially along the way. Basically, I uh, it's a it's Scott trying to give a Bible Bible study with uh-huh. me interrupting him consistently. That's a fair description. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's what I'll send to focus for the description of the podcast. <laughs> All um, right, we're we're entering in um, onto the fifth Sunday of Ordinary Time. Yep. Um, and uh, our first reading today is from uh, the Book of Job. Good job. From, from from Homestar, Homestar Runner, Runner yeah. yeah, yeah, from the the book of Jor. Really dating yourself with all the college <laughs> kids out there. <laughs> chapter it's the hottest thing. <laughs> chapter seven, uh, verses one to four, skipping five because that has worms and and like pus. <laughs> they were like, we're we're just gonna pull the worms and pus and pot shards on this one and just go right into verses six and seven. Which you know what is reasonable. I uh, like sometimes I hate the way they they chop up and dice and slice it, but that this one was one, an act of mercy. Th- yeah, this one was like as a pre- I'm like, thanks. I mean, it would have got people paying attention. Wait, but. worms and pus? What? My kids would have stood up and paid attention. Yeah, because it's the only thing that they would remember from the entire time. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. Our responsorial psalm is from Psalm 147, verses 1 to 2, 3 to 4, 5 to 6. In other words, 1 to 6. And our response is coming from 3A. 3A? Yeah, nice. Where, where okay, to, where Canada. Yeah, man. Every time I get a, it's like the Canadians must have done the parsing of all of these scripture verses. Oh, that's funny. That was good. <laughs> that's, that's funny. Okay, First Corinthians um, is their second reading from mm. chapter nine, sixteen to nineteen, jumping all the way to twenty-two to twenty-three. Very good. And our gospel is coming from Mark chapter one, verses twenty-nine through thirty-nine. Oh, Peter's mother-in-law. Peter's mother-in-law. Hot-headed mother-in-law. Yeah. Is what, oh. It's literally what's... Oh, that was bad. That would really? do it. Have that's you been, what... That, it's, she's, have, have you been studying Scott Hahn, dude? I, that's like, that that's sounds pure, more Thomas Smith to me. That's pure, like, dad... Like, dad, like, oh, it hot-headed beater mother-in-law. Okay, it's very Tom Smith, I think. Uh, okay, t- we, give it, we give it a <laughs> shout-out to Tom. Tom it's at least in the spirit of Tom Smith. Um, Can I just point out one thing? <laughs> So I want to talk about Job, which um, I'm I'm I'll be honest, I'm not super excited to talk about Job. Do you know because that it's a hard book? It's because you're on the job. Okay, here we go. <laughs> but I I had to laugh. So I was going through all these different, um, you know, some commentaries and different things on how to read Job and the <laughs> and, Job. By the way, it is and, a, and not despair and feel like you have to take antidepressants afterwards. Well, there's that. There's the content, but then there's also just the fact that it Job really is a literary masterpiece. It is one of the most brilliant pieces of both poetry and prose, I think, that exists in the literary world. Uh, aside from the inspiration of scripture and it being God's word to us, it's just a beautiful piece of writing. And so I was looking over one of the... Uh, and you know how you know that, actually? This is interesting. Because I just told you. <laughs> aside from the analysis of things. <laughs> yes. yes. How many people tell you... Well, they tell me this. And if you're, if you're a brother priest, then you know this. People identify with Job. There's something that touches the heart of people and gets to the experience of hard times in a way that nothing else gets to it. I don't know what's happening over with Scott. Scott, you guys, 
Oh, Scott, I love you. I love you too. I love you. So, some do you ever identify with Job? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, yes, uh, yes. Well, that sounds so, so trite to say. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I do. Um and I want to talk about that, but just because that that actually is the the interpretive key to the book. Um which I want to get to in a second, but I just had to laugh as I was going through one of the many kind of outlines I have here of the structure of the book of Job and I was just kind of cruising through this this outline, this uh, outline I had written down is like, okay, chapter two, the arrival of Job's friends. Chapter three through 31, the speeches of Job and his friends. Chapter three, verse one, Job curses the day he was born. Chapter four, <laughs> verse one. <laughs> so matter of fact. <laughs> Which that kind of tells you everything you need to yeah, know, doesn't absolutely. it? absolutely. If that makes it into a bullet point. <laughs> Job curses the day he was born. <laughs> chapter two, Eliehu gives a speech. Um, all right. I think I think the context for this book is actually fascinating. So I want to say a word about it. It, it shows up kind of later in the Bible around um, what are called the, the the wisdom writings. So it shows up around Proverbs and Psalms and these type of books. But the context for it is actually far, far, far earlier. So oh. Job is actually believed to, the, the context historically is believed to come from around the time of the patriarchs. So there's actually a mention where is it? It's in cha- in Genesis chapter 46, verse 13, in one of the long genealogies. There is a mention of a guy named Eob, which can also be translated as Job. And so some wonder, we're not sure, but it actually could be the same guy, which would put it, again, in the time of the patriarchs, around the time of Abraham, you know, and Isaac and Jacob and those guys. And we know this um, partially because... Well, there, there's some things that I think are interesting purely because I'm kind of a nerd. And then there's other things that are interesting theological. Uh, his possessions are mentioned in terms of cattle and servants, which is a very patriarchal way of, of referring to these things. His enemies are these nomadic groups from the Sabians and the Chaldeans, which we know from the time of Abraham. Um, but the other thing that I find kind of interesting, there is an absence of the Mosaic law. So in other words, he has camels. Which in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, camels are considered unclean. So this is obviously coming from a time before Exodus and Leviticus actually show up or prior to that. But what that also means is that Job, aside from just being a normal dude who's trying to live his life, he is a priest in a very real sense. And so his life is not simply an embodiment of your normal everyday Joe trying to live his life. But in the time before the Exodus and the golden calf and this huge sin of Israel, Every father of a family was considered a priest. He held a priestly role and status. And so the way that Job is looking at the world actually has a priestly dimension to it, Mm. which I think is interesting. But that that only works uh, based on the time frame we're actually dealing with. Um, There is a, a rabbinic tradition that I discovered, and it shows up in the Dead Sea Scrolls. There's a tradition of the rabbis that suggests that maybe Moses actually wrote this story, that he could have been the author, uh, and he was writing it to the Israelites who were in slavery in Egypt as a way of trying to make sense of the suffering that they were enduring and all these things. Um, There's other traditions that date it um, post-exile when Israel was coming back from Babylon where they were enslaved, basically showing that Job's sufferings and these wonderings of, you know, why is there so much evil and horrors and suffering? 
suffering actually has eventually a happy ending. And Israel sort of reflects on this in the time that they're coming out of exile and coming out of slavery. So it's actually interesting to me the places where the ancient Israelites have sort of contextualized this book, because the context helps us understand the content. Why is this stuff being written? What is it made to tell us? So I don't know. I was thinking about all those things. I think they're a little bit interesting. Yeah, I know. I I think it's really interesting. It's like um, in studying woodwork recently, there's yeah. a bunch of people who are trying to do historical analysis of how people do woodwork. And so okay. they look at like old engravings. By a bunch of people, do you mean you? <laughs> Just <laughs> it's like one guy on YouTube is actually like it's you and Tanner and, and all the people who like make comments on YouTube. You know oh, what I'm saying? Oh, the comments. Yeah, but yeah. no, no, it, it it's actually really like I love the investigation where you take clues to mm, things right. and you a- activate deeper into them. I think that there's right. actually a part of human nature like that is disposed to that. It's like when Lost was big. And you could go and you would- oh, the show. The show, yeah. the TV show Lost. And like you're looking at all these little clues and then you're going to Wikipedia and you're trying to understand who is Faraday. Mm-hmm. And and you're, and like they'll name people or like John Locke and you're, you're looking at all these details. So I love how you're looking and saying, oh, his possessions actually allow us to, to give a carbon imprint of his age. Which is cool, right? Right. It's kind of a cool thing to we do. Which carbon makes, date him. Which makes the questions that the book asks, I think, more- um, uh, not more pertinent, but they become a little deeper because, again, we can put this in a world. So um, the only other thing I really want to say about this is that the the questions that – and this is what I find absolutely fascinating about the book and what I've been trying to wrap my mind around is that the, the, the question – the wager the book begins with. So the book begins with basically a wager between God and Satan right. over the question, can human beings love God for his own sake? Can we, which is a very perennial human question. Can, do we love God just because he gives us stuff? Do we love God because he cares for us? Do we love God because of, you know, whatever experience we've had of God or feelings we get of God or relationships that we had that are given to us from God? But can human beings love God for God's own sake? And so we have this exploration of a man who is striving to be holy, who loses everything, And so part of it is a reflection on the arbitrariness of suffering and of loss and this human experience that just bad things happen. Now, what I find really fascinating about the book of Job is that Job does not, to me, seem concerned about asking the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Which is kind of what you would assume it would be about. That's the question. Which is the Psalms. Yeah, right. That's not the question of Job. It's almost seems taken for granted. Bad things happen. We know that. That's the human experience. That's not right. a question mark. That's the reality. And so the book is, it, it's, it's meant to create this tension between God is just. So there's some non-negotiables. Number one, God is just. That's what the book is trying to demonstrate. God is good in and of God's self, himself, and God is just. And on the same token, on the other hand, um, the innocent suffer. The innocent suffer seemingly for no reason. And so what the book does is try to hold in tension the two non-negotiable facts that innocent people suffer and that God is still good and that God is still just. And I love, in a weird way, that the book doesn't try to relieve the tension. It doesn't try to solve the tension. It shows and tries to demonstrate how a human being can live in that tension. And in that, 
is, I think, the book's answer to what wisdom is. What does it mean to be wise? What does it mean to live in God's ways of wisdom? It is to live in the tension of God's goodness and the experience of evil that we experience and that innocent people experience and that just is. Does that make any sense? I don't want to get too abstract, but but that's what's so beautiful about the book. It doesn't try to provide easy answers and say, well, this is why, and this is how you explain this away, or this is how you deal with it. It just says, no, this is life. The, The dangerous thing about picking up the book of Job and just starting to read it, and the warning that I always give students is that um, most of the book is made up of bad arguments about God. The vast majority of the book of Job is somebody saying something about God that is not true. And so most of the book is made up of Job dealing with these sufferings and all of his boneheaded friends coming in with all their explanations as to why Job probably deserved it, or he probably did something to ask for this, or God is not really trustworthy, or he's not really good, or Job's not really good, or any other number of arguments to try to explain away why this is the way that it is. And so it's a dangerous book to read because you could easily pick up a page that is giving a false argument about reality. Um, these friends that Job has, supposed friends, uh, they, they use all this beautiful sophistry. They have great explanations for things that are not true. <laughs> and I had a friend, I wrote it down, um, he called them wise idiots. Or, mm. um, yeah, wise morons. Wise was what morons. Somebody called. Because they, you know, which is, I think we have a world that is made up of many, many wise morons. And people who talk a lot and have a lot to say about things that don't actually reflect reality. You know, what's interesting is that... Um... I, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, um, maybe with your spouse or children or friends. Me or them? You. Oh. Um, that where, because I have this a lot as a priest and I have to like fight against it. Somebody comes to you and they have tremendous amount of emotion. Mm. And this emotion and this experience is flowing from um, some, some um, like we know that emotion um, does have a lot of origin in thought. Yeah, that's I f- fair. I feel that's something fair. and I tell myself a story about what that thing is. And I, I may have, and, and, and that story actually helps emotion arise within my heart and my yeah. my body, really. Yeah, that's fair. And um, so what happens is somebody brings you something and you start trying to talk to them about the the source of the emotions. Okay. And you're you have it pinpointed in, in, your, like in your mind. You're like, ooh, I know what's going on here. Yeah, 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 yeah. When in fact, what they need uh, is actually you to be with them in how bad it really is. Yeah, and that's and, Job, and that's Job. Like, yeah. like no, like he goes on the ash heap, and metaphorically and actually, you know, like that. Um, and and he, you know, he's struggling. His his body is corroded. He's lost his children. He's in he's in an absolute horrendous state, and he's saying, yeah. "I will never see happiness again." Like. If you've ever had a friend who's like, I will never see happiness again, you're like, right. yes, you will. Right. You know, but but the thing that you don't come and say to them yeah. is, you know, God has a plan. Right. Like he does have a plan. We know that. But you go to him and you say, this is awful. And I'm going to sit with you in this yeah. and I'm going to I'm going to let you experience this and I'm going to be with you. And right. this is what's hard is that in right. a certain sense, the book of Job is asking us to just be with him. Yes. We can peek yes. behind the curtain, yes. but, but we have to hang out with him to, yes. to say like, the truth is, is that we have to go with through what we have to go through. Yes. And, and that God is profoundly and still in love with us and still actually does have a plan. Yeah. But but we, we but we, you can't sidestep what you have to go through. It's also a reflection on 
lack of self-knowledge. Um, and what I mean by that is that, so I, I mentioned all the friends have this false-headed notion of like, here's how we solve it. Here's how we get you out. Right, what you're saying. Like, here's the solution. Job also has sort of his own solutions and goes through this thing of like, well, I haven't done anything wrong. I'm completely innocent, all these things. Um, but the ancient rabbis point out that even Job seems to come to the wrong conclusions. Hmm. Job doesn't lose his sort of righteousness, but he doesn't assess everything correctly because we can never fully know ourselves. Only God does. We can never fully understand the circumstances of our lives outside of the sheer knowledge of God's goodness. And so even, you know, even before we get to the point of, well, God has a plan, we have to start from the, from the, the statement of, but God is good. Right. This stinks. Things well, are hard. Maybe you did do something, not to deserve it, but maybe there's, who knows what, what, what we bring to the table from our human experiences and our actions, or our inactions, or our circumstances, but God is still good. God right. does not change in that. Right. And, and, and this is an exercise in narrative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. telling himself a story yeah. about, he's like, is not man's life on earth a drudgery and every single day like a slave where you just right. are longing for some shade because right. everything is horrible? Yeah. Everything is awful. <laughs> Nothing is good when you're not part of a team. The book of Job is important because what it does is it tells us that emotions are not just bad kids that need to be disciplined and get yeah. into their place. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. emotions are an actually an essential part of life and we bring them to God. Right. Even if we are, we can't make sense of stuff and we, and our poor attempts to make sense right. of things right. and our friends' poor attempt to make sense of things right. isn't necessarily what's going on, that there is a bigger, wider narrative that's right. happening right. and that, that when I tell myself this story, I may not have all the information myself. Exactly. And, um, and, and so that, so that, and to recognize that I think according to the story is wisdom. Yes. That is what it means to be wise. The recognition Thanks. that God is God and I am not. Right. God is God. And, and that I, I still have to try to make sense of things and I still have to right. go through all of my emotions right. and I'm going to surrender them to God and I'm going to let God in and I'm going to do what I have to do to, right. to like go and experience what I do. Not to just cope, not to numb out, not to be uh, apart from it, not to try to blame God, not even to try to think that my narrative is the best. I mean, like these are right. really important lessons, but at first blush, I don't like Joe because it hurts so much. Right. And, and it's so close to the bone of what our experience really is. Because it dives in headlong to the question of suffering. Right. It dwells in it. Like you said, it's the friend who sits beside, like to read the book of Job is to be asked to sit beside Job. And be like, oh man, I don't, I don't even feel comfortable next to you because it's so bad. So I want to sit over here. So here's the thing: the liturgy is built in a particular way, oh. and the liturgy it starts off with the penitential rite. Yep. We Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Let's remember we're sinners, yo. Yep. And uh, <laughs> and let's just acknowledge that within, and we're like, hey, I'm really sorry. Like I, I, I confess to everybody here. Yep, I suck, and you suck too. We all are terrible. <laughs> okay, God, please help. And then, then the liturgy is that does the new translation that the <laughs> the, 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 out there coming out with. Yeah, it is. Yeah, so, and thank you everybody for your notes about the um, a Anglican, the <laughs> Anglican ordinary, like in the the translation. I'm totally looking forward to looking it up. Yeah, you yeah. guys are awesome, and I really appreciate it. But um, but the liturgy, what we do is we go from the penitential rite right. into on Sunday what the Gloria. Does it ever feel like it's a weird experience to like I'm a bad sinner? And then all of a sudden you go in and, and you're like, 
Gloria, <laughs> Gloria, yeah. But this again, this is the tension that the church asks us to live in. Both but, are true. But if you take into account the three stages of the spiritual life, purification, illumination, and unity, when the great spiritual writers talk about the link between purification and illumination, you know what they say that the bridge is? A giant veil. Oh, the dark night of the senses. No. The dark night of the soul. Praise. Oh my gosh. Wait, what was the question? <laughs> what is the Just br- talk. What is the bridge between um, purification and illumination in the, the three stages? The dark night stages? of the soul is the, is the in-between. That's what comes in between the two. But, but what I've but always regardless, heard, regardless, this doesn't is, change your is, is praise. It's Which is the, what's asked of us when it gets darkest. When you're in the dark night of the senses. Okay, that makes actually sense. It, it makes perfect sense. So what you do is you praise, which leads us into the psalm. So we're in this tremendous purgative moment yeah. where we're where Job is being stripped of everything and right. saying that you can't even rely on your own narrative. You can't yeah. rely on your friend. You can't rely on making sense of things. You're you are you are stripped down to the very base of your being. And you, uh, in fidelity, still I will praise the Lord. It's Psalm 22. But we go to Psalm 47. 147. 147, which is praise the Lord who heals the brokenhearted. So, and you made a great statement before that our emotions are not just, you know, out of control children who need to be tamed or whatever you said. Which Psalm 147 feels like the acknowledgement of that fact. Right. Because if you feel like your emotions are out of control, it's not just, okay, if you just have enough will, you can just, you know, I will I will go Vulcan them. on it. Right. It's not. God, praise the Lord who actually takes into account our emotions, our brokenheartedness, our sorrow, our fear, our anger, whatever else it is. I mean, fill in the blank, who heals the broken heart. I'm, I'm taking a bit of liberty obviously with the psalm but but i think that is the sentiment that it's getting at right god acknowledges god cares that job is suffering now there's still a purpose there is a plan there is a goodness of god but it's not that oh you know it's not watchmaker god who just winds it up and just lets it all go god intimately deeply cares and wants to heal the brokenhearted now sometimes that comes not in the timing that we want but in the timing that God wants, which is why I, I mentioned at the very beginning this tradition that maybe Moses penned this during the time of the slavery in Egypt, or maybe mm-hmm. it was finally taken to paper from oral traditions when Israel comes out of exile in Babylon to sort of acknowledge. I mean, this is where Psalm 147 is the answer to the book of Job. God and- does heal the brokenhearted. Job is not the end. I mean, there is a period at the end of Job where things aren't sort of I mean they are kind of cleanly wrapped up and there's sort of a bow but the question is left the question right. remains of wait a second though this still is hard and right. Psalm 147 seeks to answer that I think absolutely I think a great uh, kind of ex- a- uh, explication of this in popular culture is the movie Hugo um, I never saw Hugo yeah yeah it's it's actually like how, how does how does the the god of all things Bring together the brokenhearted to heal them. Through Hugo. Through the movie Hugo. <laughs> I recommended watching it in 3D. I think it was actually a structural part of the uh, Martin Scorsese film. Oh. So, um, All I can think of is Big Hero 6, which is not the movie that you're... <laughs> just so you know what the imagery in my mind is okay i love it well so i think that can bring us into first corinthians sure (laughs) why not no it is not what i said but the big hero six into first corinthians make the connection okay um 
I'm just kidding. That's a, <laughs> like, trying to like, find I, I thought I could do it, but we don't have time. I, we don't have, you know, I would have written you a shorter letter. <laughs> if I only had more time. Right. Thank who you, St. Thomas, Thomas Aquinas. Nice. Yeah. Feast Day was just recently. Yeah, Feast Day. That's our Feast Day. <laughs> Everybody loves St. Thomas Feast Day. We had a great uh, dialogue. You look it up on our yeah. website, um, St. Thomas, thomascenter.org. Slash A-I-C-T. Slash. Which stands for the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought. Which is where this podcast is housed, dude. What, what's the what's the guy's name from Key and Peele? Backslash and forth. <laughs> from, I've never heard from that the, one. E, the, the East West when they oh, had geez. all the names for the the football players and <laughs> oh the football one. Yeah, yeah. And I love that like, one. Backslash and forth. I oh, just really love funny. that. So, um, well, I think we can connect First Corinthians. Okay, so first, fact. yeah, First Corinthians. This is actually a really interesting thing that I I want to make note of in context. Okay, please. Is that the First Corinthians? The Corinthians were obsessed with trying to be smart, with actually being these. Um, these wise, um, how did you say, morons? Wise morons, right? Yeah. Right, like yeah. th- they 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 were deeply in love with sophistry because they were oh, they, they, they were wise morons. If there's ever been a wise moron, it's the Corinthians, right? And so what happens is that they were obsessed with Athens, and so they were trying to like imitate like this yeah. grand philosophical tradition, and right. they were obsessed with sports and philosophy, and and they were really high mm-hmm. on it all, right? And and so so when when we're talking about this and experience, Paul rip, <laughs> rips it all apart. Right, and in a certain sense, actually, um, I read somewhere that that Paul is actually a new Job, which is a really interesting. Well, a, a really, really. I wasn't going to go that far, but I was going to allude to that fact here oh. and why this passage actually applies. Ooh, talk to me. Well, uh, are you, are you good? Yeah, yeah. Because that's... that's actually a perfect segue. Um, but there's a difference, and that's what I want to point out. So, the, in in context here, this um, requires a little bit less context unpacking than the last two weeks did with the wives and uh, marital relationships that are really complicated and took some unpacking, even though the church just threw them at us. But right. this has less. Um, but this actually is a very strange passage. Basically, at the beginning of chapter nine. Paul is talking about rights. So the other thing, so the Corinthians, they're obsessed with uh, wisdom, or at least perceived wisdom, wanting to look wise, wanting to sound good, wanting to, you know, yeah, look like their their neighbors up the road, the Athenians. But they also talk a lot about their rights. We have the right, and this is a lot of what Paul is ripping them apart with in this letter, is that they say, well, it doesn't matter how I'm perceived by my so-called weaker brothers and sisters in Christ. Just because they see something that they that I'm doing that they don't think is right, I don't care. Why is that my problem? There's a big section that Paul talks about, about eating meat that's been offered to idols. And they're like, but those idols don't exist because we believe in only one God. So why can't I go to a pagan temple and hang out with my friends if I know that Zeus and Apollos aren't real? And Paul's like, because someone else who is less... Um, formed in the faith might not know that and be scandalized by you. And they keep saying, well, why should we care? And Paul, one of Paul's points in this letter is that it matters how you consider how your brothers and sisters perceive you and what you're doing and risking scandalizing them. Paul says, I'm going to go so far as to never eat meat again. If there's any chance that meat might have been offered to idols and have this associated with pagan ceremonies might scandalize someone around me. 
And they're constantly talking about how well, we have the right to do what we want. We have the right. Women have the right to dress in a certain way when they go to mass. We have a right to eat meat. We have a right to go to these pagan temples. We have a right to keep on, you know, these relationships that might be unhealthy. But because we're in Christ, we're free. We have rights. It sounds very much like our culture. And Paul basically then launches in and says, you want to talk about rights? Let's talk about rights. And in the section right before this, he says, look, I have the right to a salary. You guys want to talk about the philosophers and the sophists and the Athenians? Philosophers, public philosophers, public teachers get a salary. They get paid by the people that they minister to and teach to. I decide I, I have a right to a spouse, but I've chosen to not to sacrifice that part of my life for you. So basically he builds up this argument that if there's anybody who has a right to stuff, it's me. But I made a choice for your sake so that you can never accuse me of swindling you for money, so that you can never accuse me of not having enough time for you, so you could never possibly be scandalized by me. I made a choice to, um, to sacrifice everything. I worked as a tent maker in Corinth just so you guys didn't have to pay me a salary for what I do. Do you know that I was the most well-educated, articulate, brilliant rabbi in the Israelite world? And I worked making tents just so you guys didn't have to pay me a salary because I chose to give it all up. I chose to sacrifice these parts of my life. I chose to be an itinerant preacher. I chose to give up my prestige, my status, my recognition in the world. I chose to enter into a world where Paul is constantly in prison, where he's shipwrecked, where he's beat up, where he is ill, where he's just constantly nothing, which the Corinthians will later on use against him to show why you're such a, you know, you're, you're not a, a great Moses standing on a mountain. You're not a David. You're nothing. You're beat up. You're imprisoned. You're shipwrecked. You work making tents for Pete's sake. Dude, and you, so, you just did a uh, litter, litany like for the last three minutes. Sorry. It was, it was amazing. Like I, okay, I actually kind of want to like write that down and like pray it, you know, but what because it just gives us this, uh, like, it's profoundly humble and and profoundly, uh, like, bare, like Job. But here's the difference. And this is, the I think, the key um, meaning of where these two figures connect. Paul chooses to be Job. Job has it thrust upon him and has to deal with what is, is allotted to him by the world and by God, the, the state of affairs. Paul choose it because of his illumination of Jesus Christ, because of the sheer confidence he has in premise number one of Job, which is God is good. Paul has the integrity and the complete freedom to say, I can sacrifice all to become a kind of Job because I have a deep understanding of who God is. I know I don't know my story. I know I don't know what's coming next, but I know who God is and I know his goodness and I trust in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Therefore, I don't mind being a Job mm. and I can freely choose it. And, that, and that's where the turn comes. Right. And that's where he says, I have made myself a slave right. for, to all so as to win over as many pos as possible. And I became a Job so I could speak to the Jobs of the world, mm. which is how I translate to the weak. I became weak to win over the weak. That's when I say, good job. Oh, jeez. <laughs> but it is kind of beautiful. And the, the connection there, that's pretty profound. Well, absolutely. It's But you nailed it. You said he's, he's Job. But again, the difference, I think, is that he chooses it. 
which is what Christianity gives us the freedom to do. Which is, yeah, like, and in, in, in a certain sense, that's why, like, the living out of the evangelical councils is something that's deeply said, particularly for priests. What are the evangelical councils again? Father? Poverty, chastity, obedience. Right. Which is why these are, these are tenets of the faith. Right. Which sounds so strange, you know, from a secular point of view, or even from an Old Testament point of view, well, that we would take upon ourselves sacrifice and sufferings. We're not sacrificing an animal on an altar. We're sacrificing ourselves on the altar, it, which is what makes Christianity so odd. <laughs> right? Yeah. 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 Um, okay. So that leads us into... That leads us to Mark. To Mark. So... Um, yeah, uh, Mark is the uh, is the gospel. Many people will say Mark is the gospel of Peter. Yeah, because they because it's written most likely to a Roman community. It's probably written by Peter, or it was. I mean, probably like dictated. Dicta- yeah, yeah. He was in prison. We think he was he was quite dictatorial about <laughs> making this gospel. <laughs> I mean, I just think it's really funny that that the roots of words. But um, Mark. One of the things that you will always see is that there's this sense of immediacy constantly happening. Like yes. you, just because uh, you know, th- if you're talking to a community that if they accept this, they're gonna they could be in a couple of days murdered um by the the state you know like that there's there's a kind of an immediacy an urgency absolutely to say like this actually matters and things are crazy around here so let's go let's do this and um and that's why that's why when you see this scene it's like Mm. okay somebody was healed and then then i love the line ain't just somebody man well oh well, oh, sorry. Even before this. It oh, was, okay. The it, scene it, before this is is a demoniac. It, the scene before this is actually part of the key. So he's in Capernaum, right? Yes. Right before this, and he heals that demoniac, uh, a guy with a demon, and it's that action, which is one of the first things he does in the gospel, that begins to gain him some serious notoriety and well, fame, and people hear about this and they're like, "Wait, what's going on?" We've heard a lot of teachers. We hear a lot of people talking a big talk, but we haven't seen somebody do that before. And guess what? All of us are struggling like Job over here. Yeah. We are. Yes. We are right. all. Fillet, right. We are having this experience and we, do, we don't know how to get out of the pains of our lives. Our narrative isn't working. The things that like nothing's happening. And so in the midst of that, what do you see? So people begin to flock because they're like, we got stuff. We've got baggage. We've got demons and we've got we've got so much. And what does Mark point out to you? What does Peter, who I think it's from the mouth of, point out to you? In the midst of demoniacs and people flocking and everyone desperate for healing, he turned to me, if this is from the perspective of Peter, and I said, you know what? I I have this other problem. I don't have a demon. I don't have these massive trials, but my mother-in-law is sick. And guess what Jesus did? He's like, I want to deal with that. I want to go to your house. I want to enter into your family. I want to enter into your personal life. I want to enter into your in-laws life. I want to come over and be a part of that. The rest of these things I will deal with, but I want to come with you. It is the it is the um the boast of the disciple that Jesus gets to enter into all parts of our life, right? Mm. Which is so beautiful. Again, even in the context. So he goes right. he goes to a mother-in-law um, they immediately, right, you wade through this constant immediately. He approached her, he grasped her hand, and it says he helped her up, or at least that's what the NAB says and what you'll hear at Mass. What it says in Greek is he raised her up, and it's actually the exact same language that will be used for the resurrection later on. So this is a, a foreshadowing of the resurrection. And he will raise you up on mother-in-law's wings. 
Um, so the fever left, fever left, and he waited. <laughs> but but here's what I I've never noticed before, um, and I I saw this in Mary Healy's book, which I love. He says, when it was evening after sunset, they brought to him all who were ill or possessed by demons. So it's probably been the Sabbath. The Sabbath, according to the Jewish rendering of time, ends at sunset. So everyone is like waiting around. They're like, we got to go see Jesus. It's the Sabbath. So we're not allowed to travel. And then like the sun sets. They're like, let's go. And everybody like, <laughs> goes to the house. They crowd around. They're possessed by demons. And it um, says, Oh, no, no, no. I, I skipped over what I wanted to say. Well, Sorry. well, this is the thing. It says, they brought to him all who were ill or possessed by demons. The whole town was gathered at the door. <laughs> right. Right. I can just imagine them like looking at the sky, looking at their watches, like, okay, is it time? Is it yeah, time? Let's yeah, go. Yeah. But what I wanted to say before that, so I, I um, there, there's a line that it just seems so easy to skip over. It says, when he helped the mother-in-law, he healed her, helped her up, raised her up. The fever left her, and she waited on them. Which, at first glance, you're like, well, no, what a bummer for her. <laughs> like, I've been sick in bed. Now I'm healed. Let me go make you some dinner, which Dude, is nice. But I got to say, when you get set free and, and your fever breaks, you know how great oh, you no, feel? Totally. I mean, there's a lot of layers to this. Right. I want to talk about the language. Yo, do you know yo, what it yo, says yo, in the yo, Greek yo, for, yo. we translate it as waited on them, uh, diakonos. Oh. She served them. So a deacon is a servant, which is, again, servant waiting. I mean, you can, yeah, sure, those both make sense. But the key about it is that that is a discipleship word. So what does the disciple do? The disciple diakonos, the disciple serves. And what is Jesus by his own definition of himself? I came not to serve, but to be served. And so this no, isn't merely I a story of- I did come to be served. I came to serve. What did I say? Strike that, reverse it. Oh, sorry. <laughs> the other way around. Yeah. But it, it's not just, oh, let me make you some soup. It is, I'm going to, I'm going to become like my healer. I'm going to become like Jesus now as a disciple. It's a powerful image. It's powerful enough that she wants to serve and, and go care for the people in her home. That's beautiful. Mm. But it's, it's a step deeper than that because she is acting as a disciple now. And that's what happens when you right. let Jesus into your life and your family and your home and all of your circumstances is that everything begins to change. Right. And, and your door might get beat down right. soon and, after. <laughs> right. And, and, and But then that's actually what draws people in. I'll tell you of all the great things in the world, a great work of art. Uh, you know, the, the tremendousness of our constitution, <laughs> of great yeah. uh, um, political states, mm. of, of uh, tremendous um, acts that we do. There is nothing more beautiful than um, the moral values that reside in a person. Yeah. That's why Mother Teresa mm -hmm. is like is like held up so profoundly mm -hmm. because you see it's it's not just that she serves the poor but that she possesses within herself a spirit of service. Right, and there's a difference. You the, can serve like we can have all the NGOs in the world yeah, yeah. serving the poor, but there's something Which about good. the transformed person right. Right. who serves. That's why when when right. she's transformed and she serves she's held up as an icon and right. it's 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 why we actually look at job because what happens is job remains faithful he doesn't make sense of everything but then god restores him and his fidelity is upheld because right. within within inside right. of him he was faithful even though all the wrong answers from inside and outside came to him 
Right. And and yet yes. he said, I, do, I, can't, I can't change this. Or like yeah. Paul, while he's saying like, I've chosen this and mm. I'm going to maintain. And, and, and it's, a, it's like his choice to suffer along with the suffering Christ and to not just resort to sophistry or some sort of human power that's beautiful, which he could have done. And he does once in a while. Yes, he does. <laughs> and when it is needful. Yeah. Right. Like, like, but, but he says, you know, I come just bearing the cross. Yeah. I come as I come because I see the one who took on all that Job takes on, that all the the neighborhood takes on, yeah. all of the world, and your mom and your dad and your friends and your auntie and your uncle and your grandpa and your, you know, mother-in-law yeah. and your father-in-law right. and your son-in-law and your daughter-in-law and. You're, you know, like I'm trying to litanize like that's you because it was I, just yeah. <laughs> <I got> going <laughs> right. But but that's is that's this gig. So the only other thing I want to add, yo, and then I I'm done. Um, and I don't I don't want to read too deep into this. Um, but I also know what I'm like, and I know myself, and I know that the limelight, myself, I'm like I'm like limelight. I'm just being funny. What it seems is that this. So Jesus actually does also minister to all the people who beat down the door. He yes. heals them. He spends time. Actually, it, it, it talks about them being cured. He cured many of them, but I think the wording is he literally stayed with them. It, it, the, I forget. I, I wish I had the Greek Ooh, in front of me, but I don't al- have it. Almost like the way that Job's friends yes. were supposed to be with them. Yes. He just he, is. He oh, accompanies it's therapeo, them. Therapeo. Therapeo, which, which is where we get there. So the word for cured, it's the word theopeo, uh, theropeo, which is where we get therapy. Which is not the typical word for like, boom, you're, you're cured of this infirmity, but it's therapeutic. It's, you know, the being with, the presence with. The and so there's something with, with that, uh, right. how he's going about healing them. But then what happens? I mean, again, at the risk of reading too much into this, he is wiped. He is wiped <laughs> out from this. And where does he go? He has to go to the desert. He gets up before anybody else. He's got to get away and go to a desert place, away, alone, and pray. And as a melancholic personality, there's something that really resonates with me with that. Like, man, this, this he is fully human. He's fully God, but he's fully human. And I bet this wiped him, which means what has he done? He is, in, a, in some sense, taken on their infirmities through his therapy of them, through his curing of them. He's taken on a bit of that Jobness that he's got to go sit for a while because he's chosen in sitting with them to take it upon himself. And ultimately, this is what he'll do, you know, in his in his masterstroke on the cross where he takes all of it upon himself. Right. But here you get a small taste of it. He becomes Job on our behalf, taking freely all of it from all of time, which is what Paul then is able to imitate. But that uh, there's something about that image of like, I got to get out. I got to go sit because this was a lot for my humanity to take. Yes. It's beautiful to me. Yeah, mm. that was a part of my retreat just recently. It's like uh, I, I'm, a, I'm an extrovert. Mm. And I what? And I feel that profoundly. Yeah. That you got to get away. And yeah. like. And actually, some people are going to experience seek this time, and you guys are going to be like, "I got to just get away. Like, right. I'm, I'm, I'm donezo. Like, right, like right. that was beautiful and it was good, but there was th- these things, and we, uh, and I actually think that we all need time alone. Yeah, and uh, time alone before God. That's why when He says, "When you pray, go into your inner room and close the door and be with our heavenly Father mm-hmm. who sees you in secret." Right. And the Father who sees you in secret will reward you in secret, in the secret depths of your being, in those ways that you may not even know. And, and mm-hmm. like like Job 
he didn't even know that the Lord was rewarding him <coughs> in the depth of his being. So that, so it eventually manifested outside. Right. Um, but our trials and what the Lord is preparing for us um, and what is he's preparing us for are two very powerful things. So God bless you. Thanks for joining us. Woo-hoo! Um, enjoy this. for those of us, those of you who are discovering us at the Seat Conference and at the online uh, venues. Thank you for listening. Thank you for checking us out. If you're doing it for the first time, join us again. Uh, you can subscribe on Spotify, on iTunes, or all the other podcast places. Um, and thanks for checking us out. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Keep it real, Theo. The Word on the Hill podcast is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org slash A-I-C-T. If you like this podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. Uh, That is the way that we can grow and get the word out to more people. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week.